0: reading from Psalms. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Gospel of Luke, chapter nine. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ.
2: Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, we earlier prayed in that that collect, that prayer of the day, that you would increase within us true religion. Uh, And that implies that there's a thing called false religion. Father, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you will search our souls, search our hearts and our minds, and that you will root out uh, every ounce of hypocrisy and false religion, and that you will grant us to see your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, for he is the heart of true religion. Will you fill us with your Holy Spirit, the sweetness of true religion? Will you grant us deeper and more uh, conscious access to you, our Father, um, the great privilege of true religion? And so will you do this as we look at your word together? And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please sit down. And um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Psalm 104, and we've read the entirety of Psalm 104 over the course of the service so far, but you're going to have to, it's going to be a little choose your own adventure, not quite, but you're going to have to flip back and forth a little bit around uh, the pages. Um, Psalm 104 is a big, long song that celebrates God's work of creation. And uh, one of the things that, that means is that t- today we get to talk about nature, uh, the natural world, uh, cre- the created universe, and in particular, how uh, this natural universe relates to God. Uh, we, we live, it seems to me, um, we live in, in a remarkable, uh, remarkable world. Um, Last week I was in Vancouver in British Columbia and uh, I lived in, we lived in uh, British Columbia for uh, seven years and I I still have not recovered from the beauty of that place. You go out into the mountains of the British Columbia uh, countryside, well actually from Vancouver it's all right, right there in front of you and there are times where that uncultivated beauty just sort of weighs my soul down with a kind of joy. I love it. And then um, re-entering New York City is just a very different experience. Um, But it's also a compelling beauty. It's not an uncultivated beauty, it's a very, very cultivated, sometimes curated beauty. But you look at the architecture, you, you know what I'm talking about, you look at the architecture, you look at the art. You look at the, the, the science uh, that goes on here. You look at the diversity of peoples, and there is this compelling uh, nature to this, to this city. And we live in a wonderful world. And Psalm 104 wants to take uh, that wonder at the beauty of the world and wants to turn it up, wants to turn up the heat on our wonder at the beauty of the natural world. But it does it in a little bit of an odd way. Psalm 104 says to us in so many words, isn't this world wonderful? Can you see its beauty? Don't miss it. And then Psalm 104 says, the best way to really engage the beauty of this world is, and this is going to be weird, is to, so to speak, look through the beauty to a greater beauty beyond it. What do I mean by that? Well, think about a window. Um, A window is designed usually not so much to be looked at. Usually, a window is meant to be looked through, right? A window is designed to display beauty that is beyond it. And our psalm, psalm 104, says that that's the best way to enjoy the wonder of this world. More specifically, what we're going to see is that this world is designed to uh, display God's kind generosity. So that when you look through this world's beauty, not just at it, but through it, the Christian is to see God's kind generosity everywhere. And as that happens, our joy increases. Now, as as we look at it, it's going to end up challenging all of us. Um, Some of us... uh, don't identify as Christian. Uh, maybe you identify as spiritual but not religious. Um, and if that's where you're at, this psalm is going to ask you to think about your life. And it's going to say something like this. Haven't there been times where in your life where you've felt little moments of transcendent meaning? Transcendent purpose, transcendent beauty. You felt part of something bigger than yourself, and you felt small but in a good way. Haven't you had those moments? And psalm 104 says... Uh, those experiences are real and meaningful. And at the same time, the psalm will say, do not be too easily satisfied. There's more. Look for the more. And to those of us who are Christian, it's going to say something a little bit different. It's going to say something like this. Um, Christian, your experience of the everyday natural world, as you go in and out of your work and you look around and you're compelled by beautiful things and you're revolted by ugly things, and just as you go around your everyday life, that experience needs to be joined up and united with your experience and your relationship with God. And too often, Christians kind of divorce their relationship with God to their everyday life. And... And that causes problems. And Psalm 104 says, let's join it up together. All right. I know all of that's not very clear. But let's get into the text. and It'll become more clear. Turn over to page 3 and look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. Now, so, what you can see is right at the beginning, it begins with this outburst of joy. I want to ask Psalm 104, why are you so happy? Why do you want me to be happy? Well, Jim, says Psalm 104 to me, look at what it is that God has made, and you'll see why you should rejoice. So, look at it. Verse 3, speaking about God, it says that God lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. Verse 5, God sets the earth on its foundations so that it can never be moved. Verse 6, God clothes, notice this imagery, God clothes the earth with sea, a little bit like a garment, a robe. What's the point? Here's the point. Psalm 104 is captivated by God because God is something like a good architect or maybe a good designer. Uh, Everybody in here knows more about architecture than I do. Um, However, you can tell me later if I'm right or wrong, but I'm pretty sure that a well-designed building carries a meaning, doesn't it? So uh, a well-designed palace is meant to depict the majesty of the queen. Uh, a well-designed uh, home, where we're trying to design a kitchen right now, um, and I'm told that a well-designed kitchen is supposed to like facilitate relationship, not just food, relationship. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, a well-designed garment is meant to depict the personality of the person in some way. Who's wearing it? Psalm 104 says, which is an audacious claim, that the entire universe works that way. And that this entire universe is designed by God in some way to display God. Now, we should be careful. It's not saying that nature is God, nor is it saying that God is nature. What it is saying is that behind the beauty that compels us, behind the elegance of nature that draws us in, both uncultivated nature and cultivated human uh, culture and nature, behind all of that, there is not just an impersonal something that we sometimes feel compelled by, but rather there is a someone, someone who has planted the beauty in this world all around us with the purpose to allure us to himself in love. In other words, the entirety of the universe is a gift from God to draw us to himself. How does that strike you? But there's more. Go back to it. Not only is God a good designer and a good architect, God is also something like a good gardener. And I say that because um, in this text, God Is continually, every moment, pouring out his uh, care so that life flourishes. Turn over to page 5, look at verse 10. Notice the imagery of generosity. Verse 10, speaking of God, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters, and they sing among the branches. God waters the mountains from his upper chambers, and the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. Focus a little bit on verse 13. So the first part of the psalm um, uh, focuses on God's original creation and how God designed the world. looks back to Genesis chapter 1. But most of the psalm celebrates God's present care. His moment by moment, breath by breath, pouring out of gifts so that life flourishes. And again, look at verse 13. The land, or the earth, is satisfied by the fruit of God's moment-by-moment, breath-by-breath labor. Now, this is very important. I was talking to my Uber driver the other day, and this was a point that was he found very difficult. Um, it is not that God created the world a long time ago, wound up the clock, and the rest is up to us. That's called deism. It's not Christianity. It's not Psalm 104. It's rather that God works every single moment. And that explains why it is that you breathe. Everybody take a breath. It's satisfying, isn't it? Well, you're satisfied by taking that breath because God is pouring out his moment by moment, breath by breath gift of life, gardening, so to speak. Now let me pause here. and do a, a little bit of application, okay? Um, some of us, can you identify with this? Some of us stress out about work a lot. Some of us worry about work. Do you worry about work? And, um, and, and, and it happens different ways. Sometimes we just fret about work and we stay up late all night thinking about it. Sometimes we work too much. Sometimes we work like crazy and then in other parts of our life we just check out emotionally, mentally, whatever it might be. Why do we do these things? There's lots of reasons. Here's one reason. We don't believe, verse 13. We don't think God's work satisfies today. We think, we never say it this way because those of us particularly who are Christians, um, we're usually too pious and, and so very often we're not even honest with ourselves. But, but deep down, there's an idea that God is a bad gardener. What's a bad gardener? A bad gardener, is um, uh, someone who does what I usually do with plants. I plant, and then I give up. I don't cultivate, and it dies. And we relate to God as if God's a bad gardener. So we, we, we sort of say, sure, God created a long time ago. I've read the story, six days. He got a lot of work done. That was good for him. But now, that's not helping me today. I need to get up in the morning, and I need to work, because it's all up to me. And we don't believe that God is pouring out his gifts moment by moment and breath by breath. And therefore, we fret our lives away and we kill our joy. Now, Christians, let's do a little bit of analysis here. When we do that, can you identify with it? If you can't, you know somebody that does. Um, When we do that, what we're doing is we're divorcing something that should be kept together. We're divorcing our everyday life in this natural world from our relationship with God. And whenever you do that, you end up inevitably, I end up inevitably trusting myself or trusting something in this world more than I trust in God. And we have a big fancy word for that. It's called idolatry. Anxiety, not always, but very often, Anxiety is what idolatry feels like on the inside. Can I show you a different model? Turn to page 5. Look at verse 21 and consider the lions of the field. Verse 21 says, The lions roar for their prey and they seek their food from God. Now, look at that verse. Who is it that gives the lions their food? Surely, thinks Jim, surely it's their their claws, and they're like strong, and they have very big sharp teeth. That's what gives them their food, and they chase things down, and they work together, and they eat things. Surely, a lion with all its formidable strength is self-sufficient, right? Psalm 104 says, not at all. Despite all of their natural power... Psalm 104 says, Ultimately, whether they're cognizant of it or not, and I expect they're not, nevertheless, fundamentally, they rely on God's grace, moment by moment and breath by breath, for their food. And that explains why the lions neither fret nor fear. See, if God created this universe by his grace and by his gift, and if God, moment by moment, breath by breath, cultivates this world by his grace and by his gift, then that means that we can rely on him, not just for big eternal salvation, but for every single moment of our lives. Our everyday life and our relationship with God must be joined together. One relying upon the other. And in that context, we still work. Do you see uh, verse 23? The people go about their work and to their labor until the evening. Note it has a limit. We're to work, but we work relying on God to do all the ultimate heavy lifting. Okay. What's the point so far? Here's the point. Uh, God created the world in order to show you his kind, generosity, and gift. God cares for you moment by moment and breath by breath in order to display his kind, generosity, and his gift. And then the question that comes up for me then is why? What's, God, what's, what's in it for God? What's God going aiming at? What's His aim in surrounding us with His grace and with His gift? Well, think about gifts for a second. Uh, gifts, at least good gifts, are meant to strengthen relationships. Um, My father-in-law made a wallet for me out of leather, he's a leather smith, Um, he's good at doing that. And and he gave me this wallet, I I can actually do show and tell here, it's right there, it's quite a good wallet. Um, He gave me the wallet, not simply because I needed a place to put my debit cards, Um, that's useful, but it's more than that. He gave me the wallet um, as a a, a sign of of his care, his affection. And whenever I use the wallet, I I think of him and I remember him. Uh, And I'm grateful not just for the utility of the wallet, I'm grateful for him as a person. And that's what Psalm 104 is all about. The gift of this natural world is meant to allure us into relationship. Where do you get that? Well, did you notice verse 1, the psalm starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, relationship. If you flip to the very last verse, it ends with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Relationship. And in between, it celebrates God's moment by moment and breath by breath gift and grace through nature. The aim of the universe is to surround us with the grace of God so that our souls are allured to God in love. Psalm 104 teaches us to look at God and say, God, you've made a wonderful world. You've designed a wonderful world. And not only have you made a wonderful world, you moment by moment, breath by breath, care for me, everything and all my breath and every meal and every sip of wine, it's in the text, and everything is a gift from you. your world is beautiful, but then you are more beautiful by far. Okay, now, but I can hear an objection. I can hear somebody saying to me, Jim, stop, okay, lovely, fine, but hang on. I can hear somebody saying, you talk about a beautiful world, but I don't know what universe you're living in, but the one I live in, it's not at all clear that there's a kind and gracious God behind everything. In fact, I live in a world with things like uh, cruelty and disease and death and disappointment, I'm disappointed with life, Urgh. what about the ugly, I can imagine somebody saying, what about the ugly, in this world, you talk about beauty, what about the ugly, does Psalm 104 want us to simply uh, open our eyes only to the beautiful things, and close our eyes to all the, the ugly things, is it just, do they want us to be naive, no, that's a very important objection. Can I point something out? Turn over to page three and look at the very first verse. Do you notice the word Lord, all capital letters? Um, It's a very particular name for God in that, oh, in our translation, it's not in all capital letters, but it should be. Because it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Whenever the word Lord happens in our text, it's the word Yahweh. And it's a very particular name for God that only ancient Israel used. And ancient Israel only used it when, uh, after they had been rescued out of Egypt by the Lord. So what, ha- what, the, what the name Lord in this context means is it's the name of the, of the God who reached into Israel's experience of horrible bondage, reached into the very depths and core of their experience of horrendous brokenness, evil, ugly. And he rescued them out of it. And for us, what it means is the Lord is the name for the God whom you only meet when he barrels into the hell of your life as your rescuer. And when the Lord meets you in the hell of your life and by his kind grace rescues you there, then inevitably you become bound to the Lord in a a bond of love. And when that bond of love occurs, then you will open your eyes and you will find yourself to be in a different kind of world. You will see the world differently than you had previously because you'll realize that the same grace that rescued you, also, you hadn't known it before, but had created everything beautiful that compels you the world will shimmer with the grace of the Lord who rescued you. And you'll also know that the the same grace that rescued you will also ultimately redeem the brokenness that grieves you. The beauty will point you to the Lord. The brokenness will point you to the need for the Lord to continue to break in and to redeem this world. And part of the thing I want you to see is that the Bible is not naive about evil. The beauty of this world is real, but the brokenness of this world is real. And this is one of the reasons why this universe, filled with wonderful, compelling gifts, none of the gifts of this world and this natural natural universe, none of it can be our ultimate final trust. None of it can bear the weight of our ultimate confidence. It gives us glimpses of meaning and transcendence and joy, but it also, because of the brokenness and evil of this world, it also ultimately somehow fails us when it becomes our ultimate trust. And that's why we need to look, so to speak, through nature to the God who bears its meaning. And you'll see that God, the Lord who rescues, is responsible for the beauty and takes personal responsibility to redeem the brokenness. Let me show you the same thing, just from a different angle. Um, Turn over to page 8 now. Look at the very last verse. Very last verse, verse 35, says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Does that jar you? A little bit? It's like one of the bits of the psalms. You're like, oh, there go the psalms again. They're a bit weird. Well, why is it there? Why is a psalm that's so full of joy also so hostile against sin? Well, think about it. The whole universe, claims Psalm 104, is God's gift. And God's gift is designed to bring us to God himself. Sin is many things... But it is not less than this. Sin is when we use God's gift and reject God himself. Or when we prefer God's gift over and against God. Explicitly or most of the time implicitly. And when that happens, it subverts the whole purpose of the universe. The gifts of God are meant to lead us to him. Sin takes the gift but rejects God. It subverts the very purpose of the universe. And therefore, sin is not a small thing. It's a cosmic thing. And this is something that needs to settle down on us, particularly for those of us who are Christians. Again, this is what we mean by the word idolatry. Idolatry is when we value God's gift more than we value God himself. And so I breathe and I eat and I work and I play. But I have no gratitude to God. And what I'm doing is I'm acting like being alive is not a gift. And I'm pushing God away. I'm taking God's gifts, but I'm, not re- but I'm rejecting God himself. And it's a very subtle kind of sin. But it leads to every other kind of sin. And so verse 35 makes us nervous because all of us have done that. All of us regularly take God's gift and reject him in one way or the other. And that explains why, friends, we need a God not only who creates, we need a Lord who rescues. And that's why we call Jesus Lord. Because Jesus is God who voluntarily took nature to himself And he voluntarily took upon himself the guilt and the penalty of our idolatry and our sin. And and when he died upon the cross, verse 35 was fully answered. Sin was consumed as Jesus died upon the cross. And then Jesus rose again and he defeated sin. And that's why Jesus is the Lord who barrels into the hell of our life and rescues us by his grace alone. And when you get rescued by grace... By the grace of Jesus Christ, that's when Psalm 104 will become your native tongue. It will become your song of joy. You will look around your world when you have been rescued by Jesus, and your soul will weigh down with the beauty of the natural world, and every little sparkle of beauty will remind you of your Lord who saved you, and you will say with the psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul. But you will also not be naive. Your eyes will be even more alive to the brokenness and to the ugly of this world. And it will grieve you. But it will also grieve you in a way that's hopeful. How can it be hopeful? Because you'll know the Lord who has promised to orchestrate all of history. So that one day his people will look back at the grand story of creation. And we will see that God's grace reigns supreme over all. So, Christians, by definition, you have been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know him by name. And therefore, remember that you live in a universe that pulses with the moment-by-moment, breath-by-breath grace of God. And if that's true, then, friends, your whole life must become a moment-by-moment, breath-by-breath worship of the Lord. And to those of you who are moved by nature, but don't identify as Christians, maybe you identify as spiritual but not religious, let me say this. You're right to celebrate nature. But may I say that the joy that you know in nature is just the beginning and it is not the end. There's more. You were made and designed to be moved by beauty because you were made and designed to be known by name by the God of the universe. And so the remarkable, wonderful surprise is that when you feel that transcendence in nature, that is God himself speaking to you and saying, I knew you before you even had a name, and I loved you before the foundation of the world, and I want you to know my name as well. And he introduces himself to you by saying, my name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Know him, and you will know a joy that will enter into every part of this universe. And you will join the psalm and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com/give.